0: community. Thank you for this thing we call church, this beautiful mess of people. Uh, Thank you that uh, you love us. Thanks for showing us how to love each other. And this morning, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. 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 So, you might know, you might have heard. A few weeks ago, I had this surgery thing done. Um, actually, March 13th, the day of infamy. I was grateful that they put me out quick because um, I have a high tolerance for all those kind of drugs they give you, and sometimes I get a little chatty. And so they, they must have known, they just, poof, I, was, I was out, I didn't even get to meet the robot or anything like that. But this, this like surgery kind of took the wind out of my sail, I must admit. You know, I've, I've had some surgeries in the past. I had, like, shoulder surgery where they go in, they kind of clean some stuff out, and i you know, now I can do this. And I had elbow surgery, and they would say, oh, you know, it's gonna be a month before you can lift your arm, and oh, you know, you won't be able to play. In, in a week, like, I'm back, I'm back to work. And so that's what I expected this time. You know, I'm gonna go in, Sandy's gone, you don't understand, this is bigger. I'm like, eh. And uh, unfortunately, yeah, she, she was right, you know, and, and, and for me, it just kind of, it felt different. Like, like you know, when you go in for the tune-up surgery, you know, shoulder or, or elbow, that's one thing, but like when your guts don't work right, and they say, hey, we have to take some guts out, it's got this whole different feel, or at least it did for me, it had this whole different feel and and the recovery has been much longer than I expected. In fact, you can continue to pray for me if God brings me to your mind i 'm having a few complications here and there I had to go back to the doctor I have a second surgery that I have to have to to um, augment this one or whatever so like you know it just it just feels different so i 'm sitting there i 'm going into this thing thinking you know. I'm not supposed to go to work. I'm supposed to just chill out. I'm gonna be climbing the walls because that's my experience. Like three days in, I'm done. I'm done being home. I need to do something. But this time, it was different. Like, I didn't feel good. And so I I wasn't climbing any walls. I was just, and and I'm on the couch and I've watched every possible Netflix movie that's possibly there to watch. Um, I probably spent way too much money on pay-per-view movies but I couldn't shake this, this heaviness. Like, you know, and it wasn't like I was depressed or anything like that. It was just like, I'm not so young anymore. You know, and, and I'm not that old, but I'm not so young. And I haven't bounced back. And why don't I feel better, quicker, sooner? And so as I'm kind of wrestling with this whole thing over, over probably within the first week, um, you know, being the Christian that I am, I went to the scripture. And I said, you know, God, I need I need something, and so I don't know how I came upon the verse, um, but I came upon the book of Ecclesiastes in this verse. Said the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. (laughs) Now I must say I did not feel better after this. (laughs) I didn't feel the Lord's embrace come down upon me and just hug me like I'm his beloved child. I'm like, really? That's what you got for me? And so I'm just kind of thinking through this and I decided, well, you know, let me, let me just read this book. And so I, I read through it quite a few times. I read through the book of Ecclesiastes and this time, and I've read it in the past, but this time, this time it just kind of grabbed a hold of me in a very, very different way. And what grabbed a hold of me of it was it's just so honest, like brutally honest with with life. It says all of the things that we Christians really want to say, but we're afraid to say because we're Christian and we're not supposed to feel like that. We're supposed to feel happy and we're supposed to skip everywhere. And when it rains, it rains Skittles and it's all good. But this book, the writer is just brutally honest about the way he looks at life and the way that life really is at times. Herman Melville would say that uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, he's the guy that wrote Moby Dick, he's a great author. He said that the book of Ecclesiastes is the truest book that has ever been written out of all books. Brutally honest about life and the troubles of life Brutally honest about, about work, having to work. I mean, many people, many people, maybe even here, you don't like your job. In fact, when you're at work, it's like, you know, and you're trying to work hard and, and you feel like, like doing a good job at your place of work is like wetting your pants in a dark suit. Like, you know, you get a warm feeling, but nobody really notices and so, but he addresses, he addresses these things about, about work and, and how, how it's just sometimes it feels meaningless, or, or how life, life feels like you're just on this huge hamster wheel and you're, and you're running and you're running and you're running and you're running and it's spinning around and around and around and you're just not getting anywhere. He's not afraid to call it what it is. And so he speaks about life, he speaks about the Uh, the honesty of never really being satisfied with, with anything. It talks a lot about pleasure, and not pleasure in a sinful way, just, you know, things being pleasurable. We want to enjoy some of our life, and it's never really enough. Like, I've never met a single person who has said, you know, I've had so much pleasure, I just don't need any more in my life. Like, we, it always leaves us wanting more. We're always looking for the next thing that may bring us some happiness, may bring us some joy, which is, it's not a bad thing. I mean, joy is, is joyful, it's, it's actually good. But there's always this thing in humanness, in, in our humanity, that wants us, that, that we want to have more. It, you know, in, in an initial reading of, of the book of Ecclesiastes, it feels like the guy wakes up in the morning, right? Monday morning. It's a Monday morning book. He's got his old bed head. You know, they didn't have showers back then. And, and, and he's in his ancient pajamas. I'm not quite sure what those would look like. And, and he's buttering his, his toasts, maybe his matzah. I don't know. And it lands jelly side down. He goes, you know, I'm done. And he sits down and he decides to write this. It's all meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless. And he just rants this Monday morning rant for 12 chapters But in his honesty, what he is talking about is what life looks like if we pursue only what the world has to offer and we leave God out of it. He's looking at life as being, like people are going, you know, I want this and I want that and I want this other thing and they forget about God and they're only running after these material things that the world has to offer. And we know the world has a lot to offer materialistically. And he goes, man, it's, it's just all junk, apart apart from God. Like the, the, the writer or the, the book ref, is referencing Solomon, He had more money than anyone. In fact, anything that he wanted, he just had. He could get. And yet for him, in the end, it all felt meaningless. Everything that he accomplished was meaningless. And his point is, if we run after those things, the things of the world, in the end, we're gonna be frustrated if that's all we're going after. I found that, as I read through the book a few times, it deals with the really hard questions of life that people were probably asking then, he was asking them, and that people even ask today. You know, what is the meaning of life? Isn't that the big one? Why are we here? Or sometimes, you know, why am I so unhappy? Does God even care? Why is there so much suffering in the world? Why is there so much injustice in the world? Is life even worth living? You know, these are the questions that people have always asked, but I I found that many times they ask the question and they just settle for the superficial answer, because I think people are afraid that if they press into those questions, they might not get the answer that they hope for. They might not get the answer that they, they think they're going to get. Why am I here? What's the meaning of life? Why am I so unhappy? Well, you know, you need a better job. Oh, that's easy. I'll find a better job. Oh, you need a better car. Oh, I'll get, I'll get a better car. You need the iPhone 7. That I might agree with. But anyway, I mean, you get my points. <laughs> and so the writer presses in, and he asks those questions, and he's not settling for the superficial answers. He's not settling for those answers on the surface. He honestly presses into the heaviness of life. And it feels very, if you just read it through without really spending time in the book, it feels very emo. But what it's offering, Google that for those you don't know that. Um, but what it's offering us is, he's saying, here's a way to live for God and not just for yourself. And so it's very important for the church, for people in the church, for us as Christians to develop a very solid worldview that centers on Christ, that centers on God. Because it's in this worldview that the writer of Ecclesiastes, he begins to unpack um, a God-centered way for dealing with life, for dealing with the frustrations, for dealing with power, for dealing with work, for dealing with money, for dealing with everything of life for even dealing with death, which is one of the very few universal experiences that all humanity will have. But he says, it has to be, the center of it all has to be with God. One writer wrote that the, the book of Ecclesiastes is a, is a backdoor for Christians, for Christians that, 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 um, that are frustrated, Christians that are doubting, Christians that are tired, but they're afraid to do it in public. We have this, this thing that we think that we're always supposed to be happy. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. I believe that. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, though. And so it's this back door for Christians to go, wow, wow. This is really honest. And the same writer wrote that it's a front door for those people that are searching. A front door to the gospel, a front door to Christ because it deals with life and how life is really hard sometimes and very difficult. And so it really is a book of, of life, of real life, honest, real, eternal life. And it begins this way. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now the word teacher is sometimes um, translated as preacher, but in the Hebrew, it's Koheleth. And it's a Hebrew word that just kind of encompasses all these different aspects of of who this might be. Uh, Son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, many scholars would say that this book was written by Solomon. Some scholars say it wasn't written by Solomon, but it was based upon his life by by another writer. Others will say that it's a fictional autobiography written kind of from Solomon's perspective, but not really Solomon. Um, And so, you know, the... the, um, the, court, the courtroom is out on who physically wrote down the book. But here's what I want you to understand. The book is in our scripture. God ultimately has written this book. It is the word of God. And so it's worth for us to study it. He has kept it sacred. He has kept it holy. He has kept it around for a very long time for us so we can glean from it and so we can learn from it. It is the sacred, divinely inspired word of God, even though it starts off like this. Everything is meaningless. And so he begins his Monday morning rant. Nothing means anything. Everything the world has means nothing. The, the, the sum total of our human experience is all meaningless. There is no meaning to it. And he's actually gonna have 12 chapters to kind of prove his point. And by the time we get to chapter 12, in the middle of that chapter, verse eight, he says again, you know what? It's all meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And the word meaningless in the Hebrew is the same word that they use for vapor or breath. And so this metaphor isn't lost on the, on the teacher. He's saying that life is so insubstantial that even when you try to get a grip on it, it just, it just floats through your fingertips. Do you ever go up, uh, leave the house a cold winter morning and you see your breath? Try to grab it one morning and see how you do. That's what he's comparing life to. It's just, it's just there one minute and, and it's gone to next. Life is very transitory. And it's not a new idea for Ecclesiastes. The psalmist writes in Psalm 39 that we are just mere breath, that our life is very quick here on earth. Psalm 78, it says, our days will vanish like breath. In, the, in the, the letter that James wrote, he said, our life is like a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Now, I know the Grateful Dead said what a long, strange trip it's been. And strange, I get, but in the context of humanity, it's not very long at all. We're just here for a blip on the radar when you compare it to eternity. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. It's all meaningless. He is pressing into the futility of life in a broken world. All of humanity, all of life, every day feels the effects of brokenness, feels the effects of sin, Genesis chapter three, right? Everything we try to do and we succeed at, everything we try to do and we fail at is meaningless. Meaningless. And to prove his point, the teacher is going to take everything that people use to try to get meaning in their lives. He's going to take everything that people go after to try to find satisfaction in their life. And he's going to show just how empty it really is without God in the equation. It's all meaningless without the Lord. And he is speaking from a place of experience. This isn't theory. This isn't a philosophy of his. He's lived it. He's experienced it, and he wants to share what he has learned. Now, you know, as as I was kind of thinking through this, some people find satisfaction or they look for meaning through knowledge, through learning, which is a good thing. I mean, knowledge and understanding is a very good thing. I encourage you to become more knowledgeable in those things that you're passionate about, to become more knowledgeable in, in the Scripture, but the teacher did the same thing, and, and look at what he writes about it. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Ha. Awesome. We we went to a few weeks ago, we went to a birthday party of some friends, and their, their daughter was turning one year old, one years old. And I was sitting and, and watching her play with this little block. And she was just kind of looking at it examining it like it's a diamond, you know, looking at all the facets. And she was just looking at it and you know, banging on the floor a few times. She knows nothing. But yet there's this contentment in her. I mean, she didn't even know to put the square block in the square hole. That's how little a child knows. But yet I thought, she has no regrets of the past. She has no worry of the future. All she has is this one minute this, this, this present moment and a block. And she was content. And as you think through that, you know, if, if ignorance is bliss, that saying, it's true. Because as you begin to understand the world around us, as you begin to glean wisdom, it feels like the weight of the world just kind of presses in on you. And when you begin to understand the news, when you begin to understand what's happening in other countries, when you begin to understand what's happening in this country, when you begin to understand what's happening in inner cities, when you begin to understand that, hey, they're gonna have to take a section of your bladder out. Oh, fun. The weight of this knowledge can be this is sorrowful at times. Solomon had lots of money And he just did whatever he wanted. He built things and he worked and he worked. He achieved. He was trying to make a name for himself, maybe. I don't know. But even in his work, which he had all the money in the world to do, this is what he wrote about it. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Everything was meaningless it became to him an aggravation to his soul you know it seems i would say and i might be making a generalization but at some point in our life all of us have searched for meaning all of us have searched and strived to make a name for ourselves and not in a negative way not in an arrogant way but you know you just you just want your life to matter and sometimes we wrestle through that. And sometimes we indulge ourselves in pleasures. And again, I'm not talking sinfulness. I'm just talking we wanna enjoy life a little bit. We don't wanna always have to work and, and, and just kind of you know, nose to the grindstone. You know, We want to have joy and wanna experience happy things. But all of these things always leave us kind of wanting a little bit more, a little bit more. And there are times, I bet, that some of you even in here have felt just kind of unhappy with yourself. And you just kind of scratch your head like, like man, what, where am I going? What am I doing? I haven't accomplished what I wanted to accomplish in life. Well, this is what the teacher is experiencing. And he's, he's kind of trying to work through and see what makes it more difficult for him is that he sees God at the bottom of it all. He sees God as is, is part of the meaninglessness of what's happening. Now, he never gives up faith. He knows that God is all-powerful, that God is sovereign, but it doesn't make things easier for him. It doesn't make it all better. In fact, he comes to this point of, of this realization that he's frustrated with the world. And that frustration is actually, in, God is included in that frustration because God has created the world and it seems that he has allowed certain things to happen. And so he's frustrated with God. Have you ever been frustrated with God? I will give you permission to be honest. It's okay frustrated with God. Have you ever thought about, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's not worth it. It's not worth the hassle. Nothing ever works out the way I've planned it. Nothing goes the way that I've hoped it to go, that I've prayed that it would go. And it seems like God doesn't even care. He doesn't even want to get things back on track. Maybe even worse, he, he can't. I mean, I, I really believe if, if the teacher... Has experienced these feelings that I know, man, we have at some point in some time of our life. And so he takes an honest look at it all, at life. He doesn't avoid the hard, hard things. And if you take the book as a whole, cover to cover, chapter 1 to the end of chapter 12, there's this thread that runs through it, though very subtle at times, that he holds onto this, this, it's an unflinching hope that God is still God no matter what. That God is still good. No matter what, no matter what we're experiencing, no matter how frustrated we are, no matter how meaningless it all feels, God is still God. And, and he, he holds on to this hope that, that yes, the, the Lord does bless and he blesses his people and he gives us good things. And the reason why he seems so harsh is because he wants us to understand that everything the world has to offer us is meaningless unless God is at the center of our lives. It's all meaningless without the Lord. He says, don't hope in this stuff. Don't hope in these things. Don't hope in your possessions. The only hope that's worth hoping in is an everlasting and eternal God. And that's it. And he kinda hints at this this whole thing, the phrase under the sun. It's used almost, I believe, thirty times in his writing. And he unpacks this, that life is absurd and it's, there's so much uselessness in, in work and wisdom and pleasure and all of life. And, and he goes back to this idea of, of under the sun. So what he is saying is all of these things that take place in the world in, in outside of the context of the Lord, they're all meaningless. It's all meaningless under the sun in this world. If this is the only thing that we're looking at, if life is lived by a purely human perspective and we have eliminated God from it, then man, we're going to be frustrated and never satisfied with anything. If this is all there is, and this is all that we're striving for, we will come up empty. But, but to look at God, to look beyond all of this and, and look to him, we can begin to see that there is meaning in life. We begin to see the beauty of this world. And we get to begin to see this sacred beauty and its pleasure. We begin to understand what is significant, eternal significance. See, in the Lord, everything matters. We talked about that when we went through Hebrews, how it matters the way we live our life. See, everything does matter. And when we begin to hold on to that truth, when we begin to see that this life is meaningless without the Lord at the center, we begin to understand where we can find meaning. I would even say that if God is at the center of our lives, we don't have to search for meaning because meaning will find us. It finds us because we're centered on the Lord. And so he gets through, he goes on this entire rant, all these chapters, and he comes to the end. And this is actually the second to the last verse. And this is his conclusion. It's all been heard. You've heard my rant. It's Monday morning at nine o'clock and I'm done. My toast is still jelly side down. This is my version. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. Fear God, keep his commandments. The psalmist would write, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. The teacher of Ecclesiastes says, it's not only the beginning, it's also the end. It's the goal existence for people that we would fear the Lord our God and obey what he has called us into. But yet to begin to know him in that way, to begin to love him, to begin to enjoy him, that we have to realize that what the world offers us is completely empty without him. We have to we have to develop this healthy detachment of things. And I don't mean that you don't care about anything anymore. You don't care about your job, you don't care about your house, you don't care about relationship, but there's a healthy detachment that it matters it ma- there's there is nothing meaningful in life unless we have the Lord at the center. And so we detach from those cells. We don't define ourselves by our job or the little slate on your door or by what people have said about you. We define ourselves by who the Lord our God has made us to be. In his eyes is where we find our meaning, our value, and our definition. And so we detach in a very healthy way from all those things around us. See, what what the book of Ecclesiastes writes is this all kind of Forgive the term, this all kind of sucks outside of the grace of God. It's not worth living outside of the grace of God. Without his grace, we, we have nothing. And so the book of Ecclesiastes is a book of hope and it's a book of light. It's it's really not depressing. Like it took me a while a few times to read through that. Like I opened it up for that first time, looking for the hug, and I got it's all meaningless, Dennis. Soak it up. Awesome. But it's a book of hope, and it's a book of light. Because life is meaningless without the grace of God. And the grace of God is Jesus Christ. And when we come to that place, and we live in that truth, we can stop looking for this world to satisfy us. We can stop looking for the things of this world to try to bring us happiness or pleasure. We can begin to live for the Lord by living for other people and meaning will find you. You don't have to search for it anymore because we're never gonna find it outside of the scripture. We're never gonna find it outside of Jesus Christ. See, when we look to the Lord, what do we find? We find Jesus. Jesus Christ, God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, God's fulfillment, God's peace in the flesh, Jesus Christ. It's all given to us through him. Paul writes in Romans chapter eight that all of creation has been subjected to the frustration that sin has brought. And so even creation feels the angst that we all feel about life and just kind of pressing through this thing, nose to the wheel and, and just trying to get through it. But it says that one day, Jesus comes back, he puts it all back together again. He makes it all whole. He heals Everything. That's the promise. And so we're going to explore over the next, uh, I'm thinking six months. Don't hold me to it. The book of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to go section by section, line by line, and we're going to see what the Lord would have for us, his church. Deal? Deal. Deal. Father, I want to thank you for your word I want to thank you that you've caused it to be written and you've kept it for your church. Now may we grow into who you have called us to be. May we grow into who you have created each one to be. May we understand how valuable we are in your eyes, the creator of everything. And may we take that and then love one another within the power of the Spirit. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 And again, see Lorianne to sign up uh, for the meal train for Tony and Roxanne. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.